God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us. Be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated. Psyched out. I got psyched out. I remember my first exposure with this word. I was uh, five years old, and I had uh, joined the swim team, which is very young. I literally got thrown into the deep end of the pool. Um, I have four older siblings who all swam, and I think my mother decided that she didn't want to have to look after one kid, so I went to the pool at about four years old. And so I was in my first race. And we went to this clerk of the course where you kind of waited to go up on the blocks and do your race. And I was sitting there, and all these kids were kind of gathered around. They were like, yeah, you see that guy over there? He's in your heat. He's like the best ever, and all this smack, you know, just coming at me. And I'm sitting there. I'd never even been in a race. And I just started going, really? Well, what, what, what does he do, and how does this happen? What, what, what happens? And oh, he's going to smear you. He's the best. You're horrible. You're a shrimp. You know, all this stuff. And so I can still remember it, getting up on the blocks for my race. And I was literally shaking. I may have even wet my bathing suit. I'm not sure. Because <laughs> I got in the, in the pool shortly thereafter. But just shaking in fear. And I don't remember if I won or lost. I'm sure I didn't win. But um, that was my experience of being psyched out. Because afterwards, I went up to somebody. I said, yeah, these... Guys got me thrown off. You know, they said, oh, they're on his team, right? They're just trying to get you in your head and make you lose. And, well, it worked, right? <laughs> so we all know about that creating doubt, uh, particularly when it comes to sporting events, creating um, kind of a, uh, a, a atmosphere of fear for others that you're in competition with. The Louisville Lip, you know who that is? Muhammad Ali. You remember Muhammad Ali, of course, the master a provoker of all time. He said this about Sonny Liston before he went into his first uh, title fight. After the fight, I'm going to build myself a pretty home and use him as a bearskin rug. Liston even smells like a bear. I'm going to give him to the local zoo after I whoop him. How about that? You know, going into that. And this is what he said about George Foreman. I done wrestled with an alligator, I done tussled with a whale, handcuffed lightning, thrown thunder in jail. Only last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean I make medicine sick. <laughs> this makes you want to talk like that, right? Psyching him out. And we all get psyched out in one way or another in this life, and sometimes it's not humorous, and it's not in a sporting event, but it can be in life in general. They say that Albert Einstein overheard one of the principals at his school say the following. It doesn't matter. Albert will never make a success of himself at anything. And his family, because of his slow nature, his slow, he was four years old before he started talking, he always whispered words before he actually said them out loud. Um, they called him Dopey. Could you imagine going through life with that nickname? Could you imagine being psyched out before you even started life? Dopey. 
They did a study in the Netherlands. They interviewed women who had a poor self-image. I don't know how you do that before you actually interview them, but they're interviewing these women who kind of consider themselves heavy. And they said that they, they were videotaping them as they walked through this doorway, and, and some of these women were bone thin, right? They just had this image of themselves as being overweight. And they said that as the women who had this image in, them, in their minds, the self-talk that they are fat, as they walked through this doorway, they would actually turn sideways to go through the doorway, even though there was plenty of room to get through. The self-talk, what they had been told all their lives by themselves or by others, actually impacted the way they moved in the world, what they did, how they held themselves. And we do it to ourselves. It's not just others that psych us out. We do it to ourselves. I'm fat. I'm stupid. I never do anything right. My mother was correct, right? I never could do this. I'm bad at math. I'm not a sportsman. I'm terrible at athletic. Whatever it is, this self-talk that goes through our minds begins to set us up for a, set us up for a self-fulfilling prophecy, and we are psyched out of life and relationship before we ever get off the block. And even if you have the bravado, right? Oh, yeah, this is the way we're supposed to be. Men are particularly like this. Right? The world wants to see a success. So we're out there and we're doing this. Oh, no weakness here. I do this. I do that. Oh, yeah. But in your mind, you're saying, maybe my dad was right. Maybe my mom was right. Maybe that teacher in the third grade was right. Maybe I really won't be any good at anything. And you keep that inside. And that ultimately impacts your movement in the world. Brene Brown, who's done a lot of work on vulnerability and shame, said that the one thing that shame needs to grow, that self-talk that tells you you're no good and that you're not worthy, it needs secrecy, silence, and judgment. In the silence of the world, we don't want anybody to know. We begin to judge ourselves, and it becomes what we are and who we are. Fleming Rutledge says in her book on crucifixion, she says, we tend to become what we are regarded as. That five-year-old on the block, you're going to get whooped. So it begs the question for me, and it begs the question for you and everybody in this room, what are you speaking into your life? Even today, and I don't care how old you are, this isn't just for 15-year-olds that have the whole world in front of them, right? If you're 85, you have the whole world in front of you because you participate in the cosmic life of God. And what you do at 85 matters as much as a 15-year-old and what they're doing. You have the whole world in front of you, so what are you speaking into your life today? And what are you speaking into the lives of the others in this world who need to hear something good, who need to hear something about love and need to hear something about hope? And our scripture today says something very important, I think, anyway, about being psyched out about being psyched up, about what we speak into the world about ourselves and others and what God speaks into our lives. And it speaks of hope and promise and victory in Christ. So we're going to start in Elijah. And we got a lot to unpack today. So if you're one of those that like looks at your watch and says, he's going over 11 minutes, we're going over 11 minutes today. So 
Strap it in, right? Um, we're in Elijah today, First Kings. And one of the things I like about the lectionary and don't like about the lectionary is that we have a prescribed reading, so we're reading what the Presbyterians are reading and what the Methodists are reading in most cases. But what I don't like about the lectionary is they don't kind of set you up for what went before. So we're in chapter 19, but what happened in chapter 17 and 18 with Elijah are really important to where we are today. Elijah, in those chapters, has predicted a drought. He had this relationship with God. God was speaking to him. He was one with God. So he predicted this drought, and then the drought happened. He raised the son of the widow at Zarephath, right? This wonderful miracle from God that he brought about on the earth. He's a prophet doing God's work. And then he was assembled on Mount Carmel with Ahab, the king, and 450 of their prophets. And they got into this little competition with who's the real God, who's the best God. And all of Ahab's priests were out there, all 450 of them, doing these incantations over this sacrifice, and nothing happened. So Elijah gets up there, and he says a word from God, and fire rains down from heaven and lights up the sacrifice. And all 450 of the prophets of Baal are killed. And then he prophesied rain. And when no one else could hear the rain, he heard it, and it came. And then Ahab went to Jezebel, his wife. You know that, that name. And he told Jezebel what, what uh, Elijah had done. And Jezebel said, all right, it's on. <laughs> it's on. What you did to my prophets and my priests, I'm going to do to you. They say that a better reading of it is, um, you are Elijah, I am Jezebel. Basically, you are nothing, I am the queen. Right? It's one-upsmanship. She is psyching him out. And guess what? It worked. This man who had been one with God, who had done these mighty works, a word from Jezebel, I'm going to get you. And he turns tail and runs in fear. Pessimism and cynicism lead to a loss of hope. And he was pessimistic about his future, about his life, about God's place with him, and he ran. And he gave in to self-pity to the point that he wanted to die. He no longer wanted to live. He didn't think that he had a world in front of him that was worth living. He thought that the cards were so stacked against him, even what had come before, that he just wanted to call it quits and die. You see, he had forgot his past with the Lord. He had forgot that he was the bearer of the special relationship with God, and he gave in to despair. Now, what did God do? Did he say, oh yeah, well that's Elijah. Should have known. Your mama was right. You never would be any good. Knew you were weak. Knew you'd turn tail and run, you big scaredy cat. You chicken. What do I need a prophet like you for? I'm God Almighty. I need good prophets, not people like you, dopey. Is that what he said? No. The divine came to him. And spoke to him. It's almost like a child, isn't it? Here, have a snack and get some rest. And I'll get you ready for the next round. Because I have mighty things in store for you. 
And then he gave Elijah something to do. He gave him something mighty, something worthy. He reminded him of his past as a child of the living God and sent him out into the world to seize it in his name. Elijah didn't think he was up to it. Well, he wasn't. Because he would fail. Because he's human. But it's not up to him. It's up to the one who is with him and has a plan for him. It's not because of what he does or who he is. It's because of whose he is. A child of the living, loving God. And when you're reminded of that, you can go out into the world and you can conquer it in God's name. Maybe not in the way the world expects, but in a way that honors God and the cosmic life we have with him. Paul talks about it in Galatians. You know, they had given in to all of this. Well, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to be this and you got to be that. And if you're not, then you're no good and God's not going to love you and God's not going to honor you. God's not going to give you mighty things to do. And Paul said, no, it's not about the law. It's not about work. It's about grace, the one-way gift of love. Paul spoke this into their lives and reminded them, wake up. It's not what you do or how you fail or how you succeed. You are a child of God. And Jesus in today's gospel speaks words of hope and words of love and words of encouragement and words of healing into the life of the Gerasene demoniac. Now I hate that name, demoniac. Right? And people want to get into all of this. Well, he was suffering from this or suffering from that or all we know about him is that he was violent and he was cast out of the community. He was living on the edge of town and was so violent that he had chains put on him, probably literally and figuratively. I guarantee you nobody was speaking hope into his life. I guarantee you nobody was going on to the outskirts of town and saying, hey, hey, demoniac, (laughs) right? You're loved. Come and join us. Come to our All-American Supper Club tonight. Nobody was doing that. But then Jesus shows up and he goes to him and he speaks hope and he speaks love into his life. The people that were probably saying, don't go near him. He's crazy. Don't waste your time on that. He's nuts. You're nuts. Don't do that. But Jesus did it anyway. And he asked the man to live into who he already was. Become what you already are. A child of God. And he cast down those chains. And in his right mind, as the scripture says, filled with love and filled with hope, he followed Jesus. And Jesus said, go and tell others. And when love and the love of God challenges the world order, and it's not just the world order out there, it's in your own mind. It's that world order of the five-year-old on the block that says, I can't do it. It's the world order of the 50-year-old who says, I'm fat and I've never been pretty. It's the world order of the 85-year-old who says, I'm washed up. There's nothing left for me today. When that world order is challenged by God, it is met with resistance and avoidance by the principalities and powers of the world and by those that exist in your own heart and your own mind. And Jesus says, I have come to free you from those bonds. You are acquitted. You are free to walk out of this room, out of this church, out of wherever you are, out of your tomb, 
and to live into the life that I have called you. Not psyching you out, but psyching you up for something very important. And there's something important in this reading that I want to talk about. This reading of Jesus, and once again, the lectionary has not told us what comes before. You see, he's landed on the shores of this garrison demoniac, and he has freed him. But what comes before this is when Jesus is um, calming the storm, right? He comes to the waves and he says, be still, and they obey him. In Mark's gospel, he walks on water. So his voice, the waves obey. His foot, he steps on the waves. And when Jesus cast the demon out of the man, they went into the swine, to the pigs, unclean animals. And where did those pigs run? They ran into the water and they were drowned. And the water, they believed in the ancient world, was where the Leviathan lived. It's where evil dwelled. It's where the psyching you out lives, right? It was chaos. It was darkness. And so what Jesus said before he cast the demon out to the world by calming the waters and by stepping on them is that even evil, even that, the forces of darkness in this world are under my foot. They obey my voice. And so you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to keep you in bondage this day. Jean Vanier, who was the founder of the Larch community, it's a community of, that helped those with Down syndrome and other disabilities. He said that he heard the cries of children who had no one to talk to them or to care for them, and it drew him into starting Larch. And he said this when he won the Templeton Prize in 2015. I want to speak to you of what we have learned in Larch in faith and light. As you know, people with intellectual disabilities are not able to assume important roles of power and of efficacy. They are essentially people of the heart. And when they meet others, they do not have a hidden agenda for power or for success. Their cry, their fundamental cry is for a relationship a meeting heart to heart. It is this meeting that awakens them, opens them up to life, and calls them forth to love in great simplicity, freedom, and openness. When those ingrained in a culture of winning and of individual success really meet them, really meet them, and enter into friendship with them, something amazing and wonderful happens. They, too, are open to the life of God. And then he said this about Pauline. Pauline was a woman who was a hemiplegic, an epileptic. She had one arm and one leg that were paralyzed. She suffered from certain disabilities of the mind as well, and she was filled with violence and rage. She broke the chains that anybody put on her, the figurative ones anyway. And he said it was not easy to live in one of our small homes with her, Our psychiatrist gave us good insight and advice. Her violence was a cry for friendship. For so long she had been humiliated, seen as hardly human, having no value, handicapped. What was important was that the assistants take time to be with her, to listen to her and show their appreciation for her. Little by little she evolved and became more peaceful and responded to their love. Her violence disappeared. She didn't particularly like to work in our workshops, 
but she loved to sing and to dance. And when she was quite a bit older, I would go and visit. And sometimes she would put her arm on my head and would say, poor old man. They spoke into her life, not disability. They spoke into her life, not you're bad, behave. They spoke into her life, love. They spoke into her life, hope. They spoke into her life, a world of God, a cosmic order in which she belongs and has an important part. They spoke into her life, friendship. So what words are you speaking into life today? What words are you speaking into your life, into the lives of your children, into the lives of your parents, into the lives of all of those around you What words are you speaking into your life this day? Are they words of hope? Are they words of courage? Are they words that remind you whose you are? Are they words that remind you that you take part in an eternal order, the eternal life of God? For Jesus is not just about bringing about the purposes of God But the life of Christ also points to the action of God already in the world and at work in your life. God comes to us as God came to Elijah and the man in the country of the Gerasenes and he speaks words of promise and of hope to each and every one of us. He frees us from those words, from those images, from that psyching out that binds us. Those chains have fallen from us. We are psyched up for a life in the eternal life of God. A life in God's kingdom. This week, when you speak to yourself, and those psychological studies, they said, if you take the I out of it, it has more effect. So instead of saying, I am bad, I am worthless, you say, I, John Coleman, am a child of God. I, John Coleman, am loved by the divine. I, John Coleman, am meant for something good. As hokey as that may sound to you, you do that every day. Because the forces of this world, the principalities and the powers will be telling you something else. Just turn on your television. It will tell you what to buy to be pretty. What to do to be successful. What to lift in order to be strong. You lift a relationship with the Lord Almighty. And you will be psyched up for life in the kingdom. From the psalm today. Why are you so filled and full of heaviness, O my soul? And why are you so disquieted within me? Put your trust in God, for I will yet give thanks to him who is the help of my countenance and my God. Amen.